What if de-radicalization programs are actually achieving the opposite goal, i.e. creating more extremists? Hi, this is Phil Gursky, and you're listening to Quick Hits, a short podcast about national security and public safety. Some of you may be getting tired of hearing me go on and on about de-radicalization and some of the healthy skepticism that I have in these efforts that are perpetrated around the world with a really good goal in mind, and that is to identify people who have gone down a violent extremist pathway and to try to get them off that pathway, to get them to become reintegrated into normal society. And yet, it seems to me that there is at least some evidence coming out that the programs that have been rolled out in various parts of the world may be having exactly the opposite effect of what's intended. Bear with me here. I just came across this article in the Australian, Australian newspaper, obviously, in which a youth worker who has, according to this article, dedicated much of his life to working with troubled teens in the West End of Sydney and has seen so-called de-radicalization programs in this country, he says that these initiatives are, quote, deeply flawed and were routinely infiltrated by members of Islamist terrorists, sorry, Islamist extremist groups or gangs posing as either volunteers or as participants. And what he says here, I'm going to quote at length because it's worth it's worth having a listen to. Quote, So when you get a whole heap of young people who are at risk and you're bringing them together for intervention programs and community barbecues, what you're doing is telling these predators where to find them. You're doing them a favor, and it's, then it's like shooting fish in a barrel. What they do is, the senior recruiters, they send young Arab guys into these outreach activities to mingle with the other young people and make out like they are volunteers and that they're somehow part of the service. All they're really doing is fishing out the most vulnerable kids. That's when the older guys come down and start indoctrinating them and preaching to them. It's incredibly difficult to police. Instead of shutting them out, de-radicalization programs are opening new pathways for these guys and inviting them back in. They're using the system against itself and we're losing a lot of young kids to them." Wow. That's pretty hard-hitting, isn't it? This is from a guy who has spent much of his life trying to do good, to try to get these kids off these pathways and back onto the straight and narrow. It's a damning condemnation of de-radicalization, at least one program that's being used in Sydney, in Australia. I wouldn't go as far as to say it is a complete judgment on all de-radicalization programs around the world because there are lots of different initiatives, different approaches, different ways of trying to implement these types of ideas. And yet, when I read that account in The Australian, it brought back a real memory for me. One that I talk about at some length in my forthcoming book, The Peaceable Kingdom, which, by the way, should be available in early 2021. Let me tell you about the night I met an Islamist extremist. I was in Windsor, Ontario. For those of you who don't know Canada very well, it's right across the river from Detroit, Michigan. It's an auto town. Most most of the former big three automakers had plants in Windsor. Working class town. I was there with a friend of mine from the RCMP, as well as colleagues from Public Safety Canada's Community Outreach section. And we were there to talk about radicalization and countering violent extremism. It was part of a program where we'd gone across the country and talked to various communities, not just Muslim, various communities, about these uh, these matters to try to get them to be aware of what their youth may possibly be encountering and the types of behaviors and indicators that might demonstrate that they are going down the wrong way. 
So I gave my usual spiel, as did my RCMP colleague. We were, we were quite veterans of this. We, we'd done this dozens and dozens of times. And when I finished, this young guy got up and essentially took us to task, asking what the hell we were doing there, accusing us of wasting everyone's time, accusing us of being Islamophobic or anti-Islamic. And he wouldn't shut up. We eventually sort of broke and, you know, had people go for, for coffee to kind of uh, clear the air a little bit. And in fact, I had to separate this guy from another member of the audience who didn't like what he was saying, was going to basically clean his clock. I'd punch him out for that. I had to stand between them. I later learned <laughs> that the guy in question was a returning ISIS foreign fighter. You heard me right. A returning ISIS foreign fighter found out about a community outreach event he attended, not to congratulate us on the effort, to say, yep, been there, done that, drunk the Kool-Aid, now I'm back. I'm, I'm, I'm a good guy now. I've rejected the ideology. In actual fact, disruption was only part of his agenda. The other part was to recruit people. Why do I know this? Because I had a long chat in the parking lot after the event with a young man who looked at this Islamist extremist, googly-eyed, as if he was some kind of a hero. And I had to try to kind of walk this kid back saying, you know, that you don't want to be like him. You don't want to follow the same pathway that he did because it'll end up badly for you. You'll end up either dead or you'll end up being charged. In actual fact, the guy in question, the Islamist extremist, was in fact charged with having joined ISIS. What does all this mean? What it means is that those who develop and deliver de-radicalization or community outreach programs have a responsibility to vet who's going to show up. And that's not the easiest thing to do. These programs are held uh, in conjunction with and with the agreement and assistance of local communities who are predominantly, if memory serves me correct, things have changed. I've, I've been gone for five or six years. It's the communities to, who get the message out, who advertise this on social media, say, here, we're going to have an event at this place on this evening. Please come out. Do they do the vetting? Who's going to show up? Pretty sure public safety didn't. And I'm pretty sure that public safety, at least Public Safety Canada, wouldn't, if they did receive a list of names in advance, sure as hell wouldn't send it to CSIS or the RCMP. For them to have a look and say, mm, I don't think Bobby should be there. Why? Well, we can't tell you why, but he shouldn't be there. Because it's secret. Or it's classified. In other words, I'm not surprised at what this Sydney youth worker had to say. I would be surprised if more of these vents weren't being infiltrated by actual extremists with a view to recruiting, with a view to fishing, shooting fish in the barrel, as the Sydney youth worker said. These are public events. Anybody can show up. I'm a taxpayer. I have a right to, to become part of this meeting. How many other events have gone along this way? How many other extremists, be they far right or Islamist or whatever, have shown up at these venues, identified people they think they can recruit, and then hand them off to the more senior recruiters? I'd love to see work done on this. I have yet to see any paper, report, study, whatever, which discusses this possibility. And I'm pretty damn sure it happens more often than people like to think. So again, I am not saying that those who are engaged in de-radicalization or community programs, CBE, counting while extremism programs, are doing the wrong thing. All I'm saying is that you gotta do this right. Because if you do it wrong, the opposite ensues. 
instead of stopping people from going down the pathway or instead of bringing people back from violent extremism to more normative behavior, you're actually encouraging them to reoffend or to re-enter the environment in which they became violent extremists. I think there's a lot of homework to be done here. A lot of preparatory work has to be done before these events are held to ensure that the guy I saw in Windsor, uh, the people that are working in the western suburbs of Sydney, do not show up, do not take advantage, do not hijack the agenda. I'd be curious uh, what your experiences are. Anyhow, that's what I think. Why don't you reach out to me if you've worked in CVE or deradicalization, either here in Canada or elsewhere. Did you come across similar events? If so, what did you do about it? How did you sideline these people? Love to hear from you. You can reach me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like this content and want to get more, go to my webpage, borealisthreatenedrisk.com. Hit the subscribe button, provide your email address, or get a free daily digest every day. All the blogs, all the podcasts, other material, free to your inbox first thing in the morning. Talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe. Thank you.